Grab a brew, listen up, and get back to you. This is Things I Wish I'd Known podcast. Hello, and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel Welford. And we're back once again with inspiring conversations that create positive change in your life. And today I'm going to be talking to Anna Venegard. And I am so excited to talk to her. She's actually done me a huge favour coming on because uh, there was supposed to be another guest recording this morning. And um, unfortunately, they had a bit of a, a problem and they've had to reschedule. And so I really appreciate you coming on last minute. But Anna's got this exceptional story that I'm really excited to share with you. She's a mindset and manifestation coach and she's also a co-founder of a peak performance company and she really is all about empowering people which as you guys know that listen already I am a big uh, big big advocate for empowering people and it's all about for her transformation of self-doubt and self-belief so that people can really start to consistently achieve their goals and I couldn't agree more. Um, Her mission is really around helping people um, with tools and support. And again, I feel like we've got so much alignment here because I 100% back this, right? We need to give people the ability to do their healing for themselves. And she's all about helping people create the life they want. So I'm very excited about having this conversation and sharing it with you listeners today. And I thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to get the opportunity to talk to you. I know, I'm super excited. So I always like to start kind of at the beginning. Um, your journey's been incredible to how you've gone from where you were to how you are now. What have been some of the key learnings that you've had through throughout your story? Where did it all begin? Well, it began with me developing an eating disorder, which is, of course, very, very fun. And that happened during the second year of my bachelor's degree, which was my busiest year. I took like 13 courses per semester, which is ridiculous to begin with. So you can imagine how I have no idea still how I managed to do it, but I actually got good grades in all of them. And my daily learning consisted of eating, throwing up, and then studying for the exam or going to the class. So I obviously realized that I can't continue doing this. Yeah. And I tried going to various professionals, experts in eating disorders. None of them managed to help me, unfortunately, or fortunately, because it forced me to find my own way. And that's how I even found mindset and figured out that the reason that I had these problems is that I lacked self-love, I lacked self-love and that I had a lot of self-doubt. And that led me to my business because a lot of people have problems that are related to self-doubt, whether it is an eating disorder, an addiction, just not being able to put boundaries in a relationship or not following your dreams, which I think is horrible. Yeah, I agree. How, I mean, with eating disorders, it's a very interesting topic, I think, because so many people suffer with eating disorders and it can be tied up with so many emotions around um, guilt and shame and, and you know, different emotions that tend to make us want to hide, right? It can feel like the kind of thing that we don't really want to share with other people. How did you manage to get to the point where you were able to reach out for help? Because I think a lot of people who may either be suffering or have suffered in the past would resonate with how tricky that must have been to actually 
realise, okay, I've got this problem, and then actually go and ask for help? So actually, my bachelor's was in psychology and education. Right. So from the beginning... <laughs> <That> helped. <laughs> yeah. From the beginning, I saw the little signs. I saw myself slipping. I was like, no, it's okay. It's, it's going to res- resolve itself. I'm aware of it. Here's the thing. Being aware of it and not doing anything doesn't work. Surprise. Mm. I say this all the time. Like people say knowledge is power. Um, but it's, it is power. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, that it's applied knowledge is power. It's like you can know all the things, but if you don't actually do the action, then uh, the knowledge is, is kind of worthless, really, isn't it? The awareness is kind of worthless if you don't action it. Yeah, that doesn't work. A lot of people make that mistake, including myself, <laughs> but, you know, you learn from your mistakes. So now yeah. I know that, you know, it's not enough. Make sure to stop things when you're seeing that you're sliding. Yeah. And, you know, I catch myself a lot of time kind of going into like self-doubt mode again. And I go, nope, 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 nope. I have tools to deal with that. Let's go to my tools right now and not let this kind of like spiral down. Mm. And do you find that that happens for you, like even now, like even now that you've got the tools, do you find that sometimes you do notice things slipping and you have to kind of pull yourself back up or is it relatively consistent for you now? Both, because it is relatively consistent, but also the thing about self-doubt is whenever you're going to try something new, it's most likely going to pop up and be like, no, but you don't have enough knowledge in this particular thing. And that's when you kind of go back to your tools because now you know how to deal with it, you know? It's not like the situation where you kind of spiral down. You kind of see it and go, shut up, you little voice. You're lying to me. Yeah. And I don't want to listen to you. Go away. Yeah. And how do you find that? Because in my journey, I definitely have that voice, but I feel like I have to have two voices. I feel like I've got the self-compassionate voice who's kind of like, you know, especially around the parts of myself that experienced trauma or that kind of compassionate part that was like, you know what, that was horrible that you had to go through that stuff. And, you know, I'm sorry, but it doesn't, these beliefs that that has generated are just not, not cool. And they're not really helping us. So let's, let's chill our boots, babe. Come on. Like, (laughs) it's going to be cool. And like a little bit softer, but then I also need this other voice, which sounds a bit more like yours, which is kind of like, no, absolutely not, not going there today. No. (laughs) And how do you find that within yourself, like generating those different supportive parts? So I know what are my triggers. I already have that self-awareness enough to know that. And I always go back to my tools. And, you know, there are some times where you're feeling like it's too much. You don't feel like using the tool or anything else. Yeah. And that's where I go to my little secret weapon, gratitude. And the reason for that is that your brain is physically unable to be worried and grateful at the same time. So if you actually focus on gratitude, you can't be worried. You can't doubt yourself. It just Mm. doesn't work. How did you find out your triggers? Because obviously we're talking about self-awareness. We're talking about triggers. But for some people, it can be really difficult to 
you know, when, when you're in that space, so let's just go back for a moment where you're, you're showing up at school, you're taking all these different classes, you know, you're making yourself sick after you eat. How do you go from that to being able to build the self-awareness and then understand your triggers and then implement the tools that, you know, have, have built up for yourself? Self-awareness is a lot about reflection. Once you're looking into like the patterns that kind of drive you, what is it that you're trying to avoid or trying to accomplish, you know, and journaling helps a lot with that. Mm. And just kind of asking yourself questions and trying to understand yourself actively rather than thinking that at some point you're just going to see it. Mm. I think that's, the empowerment piece as well right it's like if you know when you can actually start to understand oh okay so I may be having these thoughts but I don't necessarily have to believe them like I am not my thoughts and there's that slight you know what we call in meditation like the observer piece or the the part that's able to witness rather than be in the situation and I think that's where partly the empowerment comes because I don't know if you agree, but when you can start to view your thoughts or view your emotions or view a situation from a a different standpoint, rather than being sort of like inside it, it allows you then, doesn't it, that bit of space to kind of go, ah, yeah, maybe I can make a different choice here. Maybe I could choose a different thought. Maybe I don't have to feel this way. Maybe I can process this emotion. Maybe I can practice gratitude. Maybe I can, you know, apply whichever tool I strongly disagree with that okay good okay why so I feel like the empowerment comes when you understand that you can change the things yeah not when you are aware of them because I feel like that was the hardest part for me that I was aware that I'm doing something that I don't want to do that harms me but I was not able you know to Mm. take another action yet And that was the hardest part. That's when most people quit as well, because you feel so helpless. You're like, no, I don't want to do this. This is horrible Mm. for me. And I know the consequences, but I can't help it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. This is what I love about having these conversations, right? It's like you, I don't know, even just slightly, slightly tweaking your perspective on things um, can be really, really powerful. What's been one of your biggest, like, failures, if you like, on on your journey? I don't really like the word failure because I feel like it has some really negative connotations. I feel like we're always learning. But has there been anything, like, as you've been on your journey and you've thought, ah, oh, like, that was a big, big lesson for me because I kind of got it wrong? Yeah, I feel like it was, again, about the eating disorder because that was a really big thing for me, obviously. But... Um, a few months ago, I had to move back into my parents because they shut down the building that I was living at. There was maintenance things that they were supposed to do, Mm. not really relevant. So I had to move back into my parents. And I saw that all the supposed progress that I made Mm. was based on, let's just kick those foods that are triggering you out of the house, which obviously can't do at someone else's house. Mm. So I had to face all of that and kind of reevaluate all the progress that I've done and implement new strategies so that I can live here without causing harm to myself. Yeah. That must have been really difficult for you. 
Yeah, it felt like a huge step back and it was kind of completely out of the blue, in mm. my head at least. What did you do, you know, when you realised that that was what was happening, what did you do to help heal yourself instead of harm yourself? I made rules for myself. Uh, luckily, I have a great support system as well. So, you know, like, I kind of implemented that thing of like, I am going to call someone, whether it's my mom, whether it's my best friend or, you know, anyone that I can actually talk to. The second that I'm feeling like I am going into these habits mm. so that I will be too busy talking to that person and I won't be able to go eat or go throw up or go do whatever it is that I want to avoid doing because it's harmful. Yeah, that's a really, really good tool. So it's basically using a phone call as a pattern interrupt, right? Yeah. That's and you really can clever. do it. You can do it with everything. You know, yeah. you can choose to go for a walk. You can choose to, to go listen to music. You can choose to whatever it is that stops you from what yeah. you're currently doing and make your brain switch to something else works for that. Yeah, I think that's um, a really, really good tool. And it's definitely something I think having accountability because, you know, essentially once you're on the phone to somebody else, it's not just you there by yourself anymore. It's like even though they're not in the room, it's like you're way less likely to act on that behavior if there's somebody like I say watching but you know like in inverted commas um I've got a, a good friend of mine she's actually been on the, the the podcast before I think we spoke about this on her episode I can't remember now it's so long ago since we recorded but she's got bipolar and um we've often used exactly that method actually between the two of us so sometimes like um you know anyone that suffers with depression uh, will understand sometimes the struggle of keeping your house clean <laughs> can be getting out of bed exactly can be a little bit tricky but when you're kind of like out of the the woods with the depression if you know what I mean it's that keeping up on just your daily tasks can be really tricky and really exhausting and so sometimes we'd either like ring each other or take photographs and say right I'm going to sort this space out or I'm going to do this and I want you to, you know, check in with me in an hour, make sure I've done it or whatever. And, and it's just super, super helpful because then um, you feel like there's somebody holding you accountable rather than it just just having to rely on your own willpower, which I think can be quite, quite tricky to do. Yeah, I think that there is a big problem with willpower that... People kind of think that motivation is just going to pop out and we're going to sit here and wait till motivation comes and then we're going to do a work. Obviously, that doesn't work. Mm. And you can create your own motivation and people kind of like just go, no, it's it's not up to me. And that's the same with limiting beliefs as well. They kind of go, I have these beliefs. I'm screwed now. And they don't understand that they can actually just change the beliefs. You know, there are a lot of ways to do that. What would be, um, you say there's a lot of ways of doing that. What would be your kind of key ways to start to change your beliefs? Like if, if there's people listening, which I imagine there are who are thinking things about themselves or they have these thoughts that might be, you know, whether it's intrusive thoughts or just repetitive thoughts that aren't very pleasant about themselves. What are some of the key things they can start to do to flip that mindset? So when it comes to... Any belief, you can just change it with affirmations, but I'm not talking about this affirmations that you like Google online and it goes, 
I am successful and all of that. Because that crap doesn't work, okay? Like, I'm talking about actually customizing your own affirmations because that way they're specific, you're connected emotionally to them, and then they're actually much, much more effective. Yeah. And then the next step after that is actually trying to find those little evidence of your progress. Basically kind of making a list for yourself of why this affirmation is actually correct. Mm. What if people feel like there isn't any proof? Because I remember when I first started doing affirmations, and I'm a big advocate of affirmations, but I also agree with you. I think people inadvertently practice the wrong ones. So what I mean by that is uh, what I used to do when I started affirmations, I read um, Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm going to try this. And at the time I was bedridden with depression. I wasn't at work. I was living with my parents because I couldn't look after myself and they were looking after me. I was really in a bad way. And um, I just started, you know, this thing that she says, you have to look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. And first of all, I couldn't even do it. I just would cry. If I tried to say I love you in the mirror, I would just look at myself and cry. I couldn't even say it. But when I got to the point where I could kind of say it, I'd do it in this kind of like really sarcastic way. You know, I'd be like, I love you. You know, I love you. And um, I didn't really mean it. And I thought it was complete bullshit, basically. And my brain would argue with me. So I'd be like, I love you. And my brain would be like, no, you don't. You're a piece of shit, you know. You're just fat, There's ugly, a trick you're unlovable. Is there? What trick did you use? Because I just so, hardwired it with practice and it was really hard. So the trick to that is actually not making a statement, but asking a question. Instead of saying, I love you, you're asking, why do I love myself? Right. Because our brain is literally like Google. You're going Whatever you're going to ask, whether it's helpful or not, and that's why you need to make sure you're asking powerful questions rather than disempowering one yeah it's going to find if you're going to ask why am I a horrible person you're going to remember every time you've done something wrong to someone else if you're going to ask why am I such a kind and great person you're going to find every little thing that you've done for someone else it's just coming up in your brain amazing yeah I use that a lot with my clients as well like the analogy of google because it's so true like if you when you think like oh god I look fat today And then your brain just goes, remember this time, remember this time, how about this time, remember that thing that happened and you're like, oh my God, brain, why are you bringing all this stuff up? I already feel terrible today. (laughs) And so that's really, a really, really good um, tool to just use questioning. Is there like um, a way that people can know how to frame those questions? So I actually have um, a worksheet to create personalized affirmations Amazing. That I sent you, so we are going to put it below. Yep, it will be in the show notes, yeah. And it's showing the entire process. It has tips on how to write affirmations, how to write lofty questions, which is affirmations formed as a question. Everything Perfect. that you need to know from start to finish. Amazing. I noticed as well, when I was obviously researching people that I wanted to talk to and bring on um, to the podcast to share their stories. You've kind of got this four-step process, haven't you? Um, that you work through on your, on your website, like around awareness and then design the root cause and then strengthen. Can you share a bit about that process? Cause I think it's super interesting. It'd be really helpful for people that are looking to change their, their mindset. 
Yes. Yeah, so the awareness part is actually bringing the bringing the limiting beliefs to your awareness, understanding what your triggers are, where did it, where did it even come from? Because if you're not aware of it, you're not going to be able to change it. Obviously. Yeah. Right. Then the design part is actually deciding what beliefs you do want to have. Because beliefs are flexible. You can believe in whatever you want. You don't really have to have, you know, a justification for it. Yeah. If something is good for you, you can choose to believe it, period. Yeah. And then, obviously, you're going to have to go to the root cause and actually change your perspective on it. Go through that uncomfortable, I would say, work. Yeah. To fix that core issue, because otherwise you're just going to come up with some other symptoms. So you're going to fix whatever it is that's bothering you right now, but some other not healthy or not useful behavior is going to pop up. Yeah, I think that's an interesting part of it as well, the root cause, because I feel like self-help, self-development, healing, whatever you want to call it, has been so Instagrammed within an inch of its life that sometimes it's really really hard work you know and some of that healing is not instagrammable I mean some people are now people like filming themselves having panic attacks or crying or you know whatever which you know is personal decision but I just feel like yeah some of that stuff is really really tricky isn't it especially if you've experienced traumatic events or different things like having to go back in and face some of that fear or different emotions that may have come up in those experiences can be really, really tricky. I feel like what's more tricky is that most people are really, really scared of how people are going to look at them. Mm. It's kind of natural biological things because we used to die if we don't have a tribe, you know, Yeah. back in dinosaur age, basically. And our brain is wired for that. Like we have to have that approval from others because otherwise our brain is thinking, I'm going to die, save me. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And that's really the, the root of shame, isn't it? Shame is, you know, believing that there's something innately wrong with you or bad about you. Um, like I am bad. And then assuming that if people knew that thing about you, you're going to be expelled from the village you know and it's crazy when you think about it now because that emotion would have served us definitely back in the past because you couldn't survive without other people in the past really you know you wouldn't have been able to hunt by yourself or build shelter procreate you know all these different things um whereas now the world is set up quite differently really isn't it and you you know pretty much most survival needs can be met on your own it's nicer to do it with people um so yeah it's interesting to to get to that root cause and to go through and to realize that some of that works really more than shame it's also fear because you're afraid Mm. that people are going to reject you you're afraid that you're not gonna get your needs met or anything is whatever it is that you're afraid of you know like you're going to fail. What What are people are going to think? People are going to not want to be around me. I'm mm. not going to manage to, you know, buy a house or start a family or whatever yeah. it is, you know? Yeah. And that also was really, really useful in the past because if you look at, you know, big communities, even uh, the church back in the day, if you're thinking about it, they use fear to control people. Mm. Why can't you do anything bad? 
because you're going to go to hell. Mm. You're afraid of the consequences of your action rather than understanding that you can do actions that would serve you better and decide what you're going to do from that perspective. Yeah, for sure. And then the final step is strengthen. So how do you kind of um, strengthen those new beliefs once you've designed them, covered the root cause? So it's about what we said before. It's basically finding those evidence and there is always evidence. The reason there is always evidence, no matter what your situation is, what your belief is, even if your progress is zero, even if you go backwards, Mm. there is still evidence because someone else has experienced it and someone else managed to do it. We live in a place where everything has been done, you know, like you want to start a business, you have a bunch of models on how to start a business. You know, you want to start a family, you have billion billions of books and different parenting techniques there's always someone that you can use as role models and role models are so strong and unfortunately way too overlooked in my opinion Mm. yeah that's true yeah it's weird as well because someone asked me that recently like who were your role models growing up and I, I was like I don't know I don't think I really had like, you know, I remember having like posters of people that I fancied, like on my wall or whatever, like Johnny Depp and Ryan Giggs, <laughs> of all people. Um, but yeah, I don't really remember having like role, you know, like people that I really like looked up to um, or wanted to be like or emulate as I was growing up. Did you have role models when you were growing up? Honestly, I can't remember much about it either. You know, like I remember looking at how my dad and my grandfather used to fix things and how curious I am still about how to fix anything. You know, like I feel like that gives me great satisfaction. Yeah. Now it was broken. I did something. Now it works. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I love that as well. But I never looked at it as like, oh, I want to be, you know, like as kind as this person or anything like that. I do remember thinking those things about my parents occasionally, but nothing consistent. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I know know people in my life who had, you know, like real admiration or role model, you know, like whether it be, I don't know, pop stars or, you know, musicians or artists or, um, you know, sports people that they would just be like obsessed with and they would know like everything about. And I was just like, I don't really remember, like there's a few DJs and things that I used to really think were incredible, like the way that they managed to mix two records together and stuff like that when I was, I don't know, like 11 or 12 years old or something, you know, I I remember finding that fascinating that you could play two records at the same time and it make like a new, you know, like almost like make like a new song. I was like, what? It was like mind, mind blowing to me that you could, that you could do that. And similarly, I love uh, one of my favorite books that I, I've still got it, actually. I don't know where it is. It'll be in my bookshelf. Yeah, that's actually a good point because I used to be a bookworm. And that I do remember. I was like reading a book and I really wanted to be like that heroine, as brave as she is or things Ah, like that. Ah, okay. Yeah, so maybe your role models were more like characters or in, in books and things like that. Yeah, I just had this book. It was so random. It was, I'm trying to think what it's called now. I can picture the the cover of it is super old 
and I, I got it in a, a like charity shop years and years and years ago and it's called it's called something like how things work and it's really like into that thing that you were saying about fixing stuff it's literally pretty much anything that you can imagine like how it works engines um I think the atomic bomb is in there you know when you're like definitely not gonna be making one of those at home when I'm 11 <laughs> oh, because but, when you're 30 you're gonna make them yeah <laughs> That's all right, I'm past 30 now, so we're good. <laughs> the world is safe, the world is safe. Um, so I get, what one piece of advice would you give to yourself if you could go back? I mean, if you could go back to, you know, when you were studying and really struggling um, with your eating disorder, what kind of advice would you give from the perspective that you have now? So I would actually go back further to when okay. I was a kid. Yeah. And- um, did you hear this new song that everyone are going crazy about that like uh, I know Victoria's Secret and that it's an old man that that basically makes money out of people doubting their body image and all of that? No, I don't think I've heard it. Well, it's it's everywhere. These like at least I've seen it way too many times. Yeah. But I would literally go to that, like, because I really, really started disliking myself like not accepting myself and all of that when I was in I think second or third grade I was bullied my entire life my entire school life for people that are listening in the UK what second or third grade like how old were you roughly because obviously in the UK we have like different um um... seven eight something like that oh wow okay super young yeah so the thing is about the thing about beliefs is that until you're about seven years old, some people say 10, some people say seven, you're kind of like a sponge. Mm. You're very egocentric and you kind of can't see that you're not the reason for everything that's going on. Yeah. So, well, you don't have example, the ability for critical thinking yet, do you? That's yeah. So the... for a kid, let's say that you're a child right now, you're a seven-year-old and mom is angry. She's in a bad mood. She's whatever. It's your fault because Mm. you can't understand yet that maybe mom had a bad day at work or maybe she's sick and having a headache or maybe a billion other reasons. Yeah. Like you automatically blame yourself. So as a child who has been bullied, you know, it kind of automatically goes, it's because of you. You're bullied because of you. You're bullied because of you. It's your fault. You're not worth of love. And that's what I grew up with. Mm. You know, despite my parents loving me and being a great parents, when that's what you're exposed to on a daily basis in school for years, that's what's going to be in your head. Yeah. And I had to unlearn that. That was, you know, a very challenging process. Yeah. So I would go to my younger self and like tell her that the most important thing for you is to actually love yourself and like look at all the things that are making you happy, focus on them and focus on what you can accomplish and kind of like just, if they don't want to be around you, don't be around them. They're not worth it. Mm. They're the ones that are not worth it, not you, you know? Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I definitely experienced that as well. Like I got bullied when I was um, really young and it it has such a effect, doesn't it, on how you how you feel about yourself and what you think about yourself and it's kind of sad really because I I look back now and I think a couple of the people that believe me that you know as I got older I learned things about their home life and I learned things about what they'd been through and I'm not saying that you know you should 
have compassion for your bullies or or whatever you know if, if that's not your um your path because I think everybody's path is different but it gave me quite an understanding of like no wonder they needed somewhere to put their rage do you know what I mean or no wonder that they were behaving in that way because of the things that had happened to them so it's this weird cyclical um constant what am I trying to say it's like a constant cycle of people get treated bad so they treat other people badly which then makes them feel bad so then they might treat other people badly or they're going to internalize it and they're going to harm them and it just continues and this is where I think self-empowerment and self-development and these kinds of um, practices that we have is so important because you're breaking those cycles yeah hurt people hurt people yeah as cheesy as it is it's so true isn't it it really is so true um what one thing do you wish you'd known about you know mindset manifestation being able to move on from those old thought patterns or those old behaviors that were harming you you know that it's possible to just change your beliefs and you know believe in someone that's actually going to be better rather than kind of I'm stuck with these beliefs and I don't know what to do Mm. what I mean I don't even know if you want to share this or not but was there like one belief that you had that you felt was like a core trigger that I'm not enough that I'm not good enough not strong enough just like not enough something yeah something kept changing depending on the situation but it was always about that yeah so it's that real like lack of like not uh, measuring up somehow or um, to other people. Yeah. And like the thing is for me, I kind of had a really, really learned helplessness because I was bullied for knowing Russian. And the, that's, that's such the a, thing. Such that's a bizarre the thing. thing, isn't it? To get bullied for. So I'm like, well that's done, exactly you're bilingual. I'm going to pick on you for it. It's like, what? But that's exactly my point. You can choose whether you're going to speak the language or not speak the language. As far as I know, maybe I don't know, but there isn't a button that you kind of go delete language here. Mm. So I was bullied for something that I couldn't control because I was bullied for the fact that I knew the language. I didn't speak it at school. That's such a bizarre thing to get bullied for, isn't it? I always think this when I look back, I'm like, children are quite weird aren't they <laughs> like we're quite as children human beings are quite cruel and quite weird like that's a really bizarre <laughs> a bizarre thing it should be something that's celebrated no you know generally in life it's like oh wow that's amazing like you speak more than one language that's an incredible achievement but as yeah, a child that's it's the like result that's, that's the kind of reactions I got later on in life but you know that doesn't really change the fact that at the beginning no. Yeah, I love the fact that I can speak Russian. I love the language. I love the fact that there are people that I can speak to that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to speak to. Absolutely. But when you're a kid, you can't have that. There's no possible way to have that kind of perspective, is there? No. You know, there's no possible way to be like, oh, you know what? Maybe now these kids are picking on me, but in like 10 years time, this is going to be an incredible like tool in my life. And I love my mom, but she gave me this advice that I would say is absolutely horrible for a kid that went, you know, if you just don't pay attention to them, they're going to stop bullying you. Yeah, that doesn't work that way. Mm. 
And even if it does, you know, as the child, you're getting hurt, you're getting hurt, you're getting hurt, and you're supposed to shut up. And it kind of encourages you to just kind of like ignore your feelings rather than mm. helping the child find, you know, a better perspective and something that they can focus on that's going to empower them. So for mm. me, for example, I went to my mom when I was seven years old and went, mom, I want to start riding horses. And that became my safe space. Brilliant. Yeah. And so were you able to kind of channel, I guess, some of that stuff into the horse riding and that became your haven, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Amazing. So it's been so good to talk to you. I think you've really shared some incredible insights into not only your journey, but the kinds of tools that people can use um, to really work on starting to flip their mindset, starting to feel better about themselves. Is there anything else that you wanted to share anything that you wish you'd that I'd ask that I didn't ask mm, I think that it's a really big thing to actually you know go at things the right way you know so it's not just about I'm writing a book right now about uh the nine success blocks and how to overcome them yeah and I actually use the word blocks as a play on words because they're both stopping you from achieving what you want, but they also help you build your success like building blocks if you actually manage to use them correctly. Mm, interesting. Ha okay. Can you expand on that a little bit? I don't want to ruin the content of the book, but I just feel like... Yeah. So there are actually uh, three pillars. One is your relationship with yourself, which includes self-awareness, self-love, and self-belief. Then you have the taking action pillar because, you know, as we said, if you're not going to do anything, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. So that has consistency and motivation in it. Like we said, we need to actually create motivation and not wait for it. Productivity yeah. and adjusting to setbacks, which makes a lot of people quit, unfortunately. Mm. And then you have the more manifestation part, which is success attraction, which is clarity, manifestation, and success mindset because again your beliefs are core here mm, I agree because even if you come to like basic neuroscience you know and look at like the reticular activating system for example in the brain it's like if your if your reticular activating system is working filtering your world via your beliefs even if something good happens, but you believe that good things don't happen to people like you, for example, you're not going to see the good things anyway. You're not going to register them. So it's super, super important, I think, to get the belief. There's actually up. a study done on that. There were a group of there were a group of people. They were supposed to. They're given a newspaper. They're supposed to like count the picture or count the words or something like that. And once you finish that, you kind of tell the researchers the number and you get a hundred dollars right now inside the newspapers in several places there was hitting a sentence saying if you have read this sentence stop right now go to the researchers and receive 150 dollars right so people who actually believed that they were lucky were much more likely to find the sentence interesting they see the opportunities because they believe that they're going to get the opportunities that they exist and that they are available for them so interesting and it's it's so tricky isn't it because you know when we look at opportunity obviously there's so much narrative at the moment well not even at the moment there's always been a narrative around um 
equal opportunities and how things, you know, we don't live in a balanced society. We don't live in a balanced um, space. But if you can work on your mindset, it's going to still give you a better potential, I think, of seeing the opportunities when they present themselves. I feel like it's about the fact that once you actually work on your mindset and you start really believing in yourself, you're going to be determined. Like, it doesn't matter how many challenges you're going to get or how much self-doubt is going to pop up. You're going to know how to deal with it and you're going to continue and you're going to chase your goals until you achieve them. Yeah, it's about, it's realizing, I guess, as well, isn't it? That that kind of feeds into that get comfortable, getting uncomfortable thing. Because as human beings, we are programmed for comfort. We want things to be comfortable and easy because that shows that we're, successful to an extent right like if we're not scrabbling around for food and scrabbling around for shelter and we cut you know it's like oh okay I can relax because my survival like my survival needs are met but actually because a lot of that stuff is already in place it's pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone you know it's much harder isn't it much more effort to get up put your running shoes on and go for a run than it is to press play on Netflix I had that situation recently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you drive or not. Do you? Yes. Right. I love so driving. I, well, I recently uh, started getting my, I got my license recently. It took me seven attempts to pass the test. Now, the reason for that was that I got actually really, really strict, horrible, like, testers. But yeah. It was really hard. It, it really, I had to use my tools to go back again and again and again until I got mm. it. And that's not an obvious thing. You know, a lot of people kind of would just go, oh, I didn't manage on the first try or the second try or the third try. I'm just going to quit. I've yeah. done it seven times. Yeah, it took me three times to pass my test as well. And I remember the first time as well, I was so livid. I, where I um, yeah. am from, there, where the test centre is, there's this two, you come out the test centre and it doesn't matter which way you go, there's these two really, really, really steep hills. And um, they're basically bo- both on like blind corners. So you can't really see the traffic. There's cars all parked. It's like a really busy road. And that's the first obstacle. Obviously, you're super nervous when you're doing your driving test. So the first time I did my driving test, I failed within the first like minute, I think. (laughs) Um, Because I was on this hill and I was trying to do a hill start and I was so nervous. I just kept messing up you know, the pedals and I kept stalling the car. Then I nearly started crying and I started saying to the tester, I'm so sorry, I can drive better than this. I promise I'm a safe driver. (laughs) Yeah, I am going to guess that didn't help. It didn't help. And so, but then what's so funny is in my head, I just thought, oh, he's just going to say, like, turn back, you know. I had to do the whole Yeah, they have to. Mate, you know I failed. You know I failed. I know I failed. We've only been in the car for 60 seconds. Let's just call it quits, man. This is a waste of my time. It's a waste of your time. Let's just go and have a cup of tea. No, I had to do the whole test. But what's interesting is the mindset thing. I, at the end of the test, the tester said to me, put straight back in for your test. Like, try and do it this week. 
because you're actually a really amazing driver. It's obviously just the nerves at the beginning that that caught you um, because the rest of the test, you did it really, really well. Like once you, it was almost like once I knew I failed, I relaxed and then I drove really well because it was kind of you like, well, care anymore. exactly. You know what I mean? There was no, like, I wasn't really on the test. I was because I knew that I already failed. Right. And so, uh, but instead of listening to the tester and being like, oh, he said I was a good driver. And he said that I should put straight back in for my test. I left it. I think it was two years or a year or something like that, because in my head, I was like, I'm a bad driver. I shouldn't be on the road. I'm not safe. I can't even pass my test. And I started telling myself, all this negative story of your beliefs even though the tester told me look it was just nerves it happens loads of people that hill's a really difficult hill don't worry about it put straight back in like honestly look you know i don't know if it's the same in um where you were tested but it's like we have what's known as minors and majors and i think you're allowed so many minor might have changed now god it's been years since i did my driving test but you're allowed so many like minor mistakes um, but no majors. And obviously my one was major because I was basically yeah, cr- crying on a hill. <laughs> um, but then I left it so long, I failed the next time because again, the nerves and a similar thing happened. It was right at the beginning of the test. I made a major mistake. I was so nervous. And then the third time I actually had an event that I was running and I needed to be able to drive or I wouldn't be able to do that event and it was part of my job and I just passed straight away it wasn't even because I knew like you you know my mindset was kind of like it doesn't matter like you have to there's no two ways around this you have to do it and so yeah it's super interesting isn't it how these experiences kind of shape you in your mind absolutely and touching on that previous uh, thing that we said I feel like I don't know how many of like listeners or maybe if you have experienced it but I feel like the worst belief that I've in my personal opinion is the one that's saying that you have to sacrifice one life area or several life areas to succeed in another one so a lot of people kind of think if you want to be a successful businessman you have to only focus on your business you're not going to be having any time to spend with your family to spend with your friends And you're probably going to have health issues because you're going to become a workaholic and so on and so on. And I encountered that when I went to my parents and my and my family and kind of went, you know what? I've seen this uh, this program called Lifebook. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's Mm -hmm. basically there are 12 life categories in that program. And they're all about set your vision in each one of them and work towards all of that. Like you can actually have it all. When I told that to my to my family, they were like, "Yeah, cool. That's not possible, but good for mm. you." You know, like I think it's something that somebody said to me once that really has stuck with me over the years. Because I I think you can have it all as well, and I think that actually, um, you know, often what people see as balance isn't balance. It's swinging from one thing to the other thing to the other thing, you know, like workaholic and then holiday, relax, then workaholic again. And that's not balance, you know? Um, and I feel like they, they said to me, one, one person said to me, you can't do all the things, right? Because I, I like uh, anyone that's followed me for a while will know I've got lots of different interests, 
from, you know, over the years from working in like BMX and snowboarding and these kinds of things to like making hats, drawing, doing projection mapping, um, you know, music, all, all these different interests and things. And now I'm doing, you know, sound therapy and ther- therapy and whatever. Um, and I thought I can do all the things. But then what I realised is you can do all the things. You can't do them all at the same time. You have to kind of make space, right? And so, like, with having all the stuff, like this 12, you know, whether it's, like, 12 um, steps or, or 12 different things, it's, like, you're going to need to work on each one of those things and and create that habit or make it a, you, you know, a, a, a daily practice, for example. And then you can add something else because... I share this a lot with my clients as well. They'll say, well, what, you know, what, you do this, this, this in a day or whatever, you know, like if I'm thinking about routines and I don't really have like a super disciplined morning routine or anything like that anymore, but I do have, you know, I know that I need to meditate a certain amount or I know that I need to journal a certain amount. I know I need to see my therapist frequently. I know. I need, so I, I make sure that I, I hit all those things. But at the beginning, because I wasn't managing myself in, in the, in the same way that I'm able to now, I had to have a really disciplined practice. I had to meditate every morning, 20 minutes, whatever, you know, an hour, I got three hours at one point. It's crazy. Um, you know, and I, and I had to journal every single day and I had to, because I didn't have those habits yet. And I didn't have all those things implemented into my life. But then when they become more of a natural part of your routine, more of an, you know, and, a big part of the hard work is done. Like now it's for me, it's like weeding, right? I notice the odd occasional negative thought and I think, okay, that's bullshit. I'm not going to think that about myself anymore. Or I, I notice these things and it's much easier for me to, to implement the tools because I've been practicing them for God, like eight years now. But at the beginning it was like, no, I have to be a bit more on it. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I I find that a lot of people actually struggle with that. They kind of fall into the trap of big steps. Mm-hmm. And when you give them small, small ones, they kind of go, yeah, but that's not going to do anything. That's not going to make enough progress. That's not going to make enough impact. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. When that is the only way to actually stay consistent. Because if you do a big step and then you add another big step and then you add another big step, guess what? You're really, really soon, you're not going to be able to keep up. Yeah. You're going to fall down this rabbit hole of blaming yourself. Oh my God, I'm not good enough. I didn't manage to do all of the things that I was supposed to do. Yeah. And then you're going to be terrified of adding another big step because you're already barely managing and you're not going to be able to make any progress. Yeah. And you're probably going to burn out as well. So, good job. this is 100% why I changed the name of my membership because I have a membership and it used to be called Clear Club and I changed it to Happy Habits Club because I 100% back that. It's the little incremental changes that you make. It's like happy habits, right? It's like, it, what little thing can I do today that helps me move towards my happiness, whether it be for my health, whether it be for my family, whether it be financial, whether it, you know, it doesn't matter which area of your life you're looking at. If you can do these tiny little things but you do it every single day. It's like putting a pound in a savings account. You know, if you put a pound in a savings account, it's it's a pound in a savings account. But if you put a pound in a savings account every day and you've got compound interest, you know, in 10 years time, you're going to be so grateful that you started putting that pound 
in in the account. But when you're looking at that account and you're going, oh, I've only got three pounds in my savings account. Oh, I've only got 10 pounds in my savings account. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it's the time factor and the building over time that compounds, you know, compounds that interest, right? And it's the same with habits. It's like getting up. I really, I'm, I think I'm going to try and do this actually. Maybe I'm going to make a video blog about it. I really want to be one of those morning people, do you know, like who can like get up at 5am and like meditate and do their whole morning routine for like three hours before the day, you know, before anyone starts their honestly, day. I am not one of those morning people and I don't wish to be like, it doesn't matter. Oh. I am. I want to the be thing that person. Is, you, you, can, you can. It doesn't work that way. Like you can do it, but it's going to end up hurting you because we all have our different levels of productivity. That's so the if you're going rhythm. to, you know, like if your productivity hours are, let's say in the evening and you're going to wake up at 5 a.m., you're going to be exhausted in the evening. You're going to go to sleep early. You're going to miss out on those hours. Yeah, because I've done my um, chronotype and I'm a wolf. So that does not, it's not conducive with early mornings. No, not at all. But I was thinking that if I just got up, say, a minute early every day, how that would affect me. Do you know, like, because normally I get up about, like, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight o'clock, depending what what my day is. Um, that's and an so interesting experiment. if I, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, maybe it's the shock because I'll go from, you know, like 8am to try and get up at five. Like that's a massive shock on your body. Yeah, first, but don't that ever incre- do more than 15 minutes or 30 minutes top increments because it just shocks you and your system goes, ah, yeah. something is different. And that's, and that's the thing. Cause I did do it for 30 days and I just felt ill and and awful and I hated it and also because sometimes you know all these people that talk about 4am club 5am club ask them what time they go to bed because those mfs go to bed at like eight nine o'clock at night and I'm often working at that time I have events and gong bars and sometimes I have clients late and so often I might not finish work until 9pm and then you've got to wind down and actually get in bed and blah 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 so I really want to offer you a different perspective here Mm. Because the reason people wake up at 5 a.m. and they, they usually start their work still at like 7, 8. The yeah. thing that they have is those two free hours for themselves alone where yeah. they can work or they can do whatever it is that they want to do in peace without anyone bothering them. You have that same thing if you do it late at night because everyone mm. else are asleep. That's true. I just feel like for meditation specifically... I do feel like, because I have practiced it, there's something different that happens in the morning. I don't know what it is. Maybe people that know more about like energetics and stuff would would know. And I know there's that thing about the veil. There's like a time in the morning where there's a, a thing called the veil and apparently the veil gets lifted or whatever. And it means you're more connected to spirit or whatever. Um, but it's easier to meditate either right after you woke up or right before you go to sleep because of your waves, because of the brain waves. Brain waves, exactly. But I also think there's something to do with energetically the amount of, this this might sound a bit crazy now. Um, If you think about energetically, when everybody's awake, so say like now, I'm subconsciously connected to my neighbours, like I live in London, so like I've got a lot of neighbours. <laughs> I 
opposite is buildings, next to me is buildings, above me is neighbours, right? There's just people everywhere. And they're all da, 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 thinking and they've got collective consciousness and all that stuff. I think partly it is the brainwave activity. That's the science behind it. But I think also yeah, there's energetics around the amount of collective consciousness thinking that's happening. But that's a choice. You can choose to engage or disengage from the collective consciousness. Mm. True. I just think it's easier if there's more people not in that space. But then I wonder if that then time... I don't think it really matters because Mm. it's like, if you don't want to look at the cloud, you just don't look into that direction. It doesn't matter if it's a small cloud or a big cloud. You just don't look there, you know? Mm. Yeah, maybe. I don't know something I need to think about. I shouldn't really think out loud on a podcast, should I? <laughs> I think that's kind I'm of the just point like of the working, podcast. working things out as I go, working things out as I, I go. I thought that was kind of the point of a podcast. I mean, it's the point, partly the point of this podcast, isn't it? It helps me work my brain out. Um, so, anything else that you want to add before we we head off, Anna? It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um. Actually, not just listen to this podcast, but take the actions that you need to take, no matter how small they look. Just take that first step because it's going to grow and it's going to be a huge progress in a month or in two months. And if you don't do it, you're going to end up like in a month kind of remembering it and regretting that you didn't do it. So just like give it a try. Absolutely. Not losing anything. Oh, such a good, such a good point to end on. Thank you so much for being here. Anyone who wants to get in touch with Anna, I will be putting um, all the links and everything as normal in the show notes. Thank you so much for, for being here and sharing all of your wisdom. It's been incredible to talk to you. Thank you so much for your, to the listeners. It's so nice to be back and be here with you all again. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, if you're watching on YouTube, please do press that subscription bell. If you are, um, and and leave us some comments. What do you think about these tools? Have you implemented any of them? If you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, I know there are so many, please do leave us a review. Five stars is preferable. It really helps us reach more people and get these messages and tools out to as many people as possible. I've been Rachel Welford. It's my pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Much love. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as Rachel enjoys making this podcast. Why not share it with a friend in need of some heartwarming inspiration? And if you really love it, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts as it really helps us reach and inspire more people. Thanks for listening. 